0: plan for your life. Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier and wealthier while having more fun every day?
1: And welcome to Star Style. Be the star you are. This is, this is our party time. And we hope that uh, you are tuned in and ready to have some fun today. Because we have a great show planned for you. We're coming to you live on the Voice American Network. And this show is brought to you by Be the Star You Are charity. So visit are.org. So it's almost Halloween, and we're going to talk about Nature Halloween coming up in segment one. And uh, in segment two, we have Irish author Kathleen Kelly Reardon. She's going to be sharing her newest novel, Damned If She Does. Um, As it artfully stirs up what Kirkhurst Reviews describes as a dangerous cauldron of ambitious scholars, it's really a fascinating um, read because it is about researchers and and, um, professors. And how, you know, how discriminatory they can be. And um, I will add a little bit to that since some of the reading I've done lately is talking about my own university and how difficult tenure is. So that's coming up in segment two with Kathleen Kelly Reardon. And then uh, in segment three, we will be reading The Gift of Friendship from my book, Be the Star You Are, 99 gifts for living, loving, laughing, and learning to make a difference. Because when you have a great friend, you have the greatest, greatest gift in the world. So the miracle moment for today is brought to you by Be the Star You Are. Again, visit Be the Star You Are org, and it's from Oprah Winfrey. Lots of people want to ride in the limo with you, but what? you want is someone who will take the bus with you when the limo breaks down. (laughs) And that's going to lead into when we're talking about friendship, because how true that is. Well, this week is Halloween. We're in the middle of the pandemic, and, and Halloween has kind of been canceled in a lot of places. But we're going to talk about some fun things you can do. So Bram Stoker said, listen to them, the children of the night, what music they make. And this during this season, life is all about kids. It's a time of magic, of wonder, and things that go bump in the night. Halloween has always been a favorite holiday for most children in the United States. But this year, almost across the U.S., Halloween has been changed, and it's going to be celebrated in some places, but definitely in a different way. There's not any random trick-or-treating, no big gatherings, and no real haunted parties. And since school has been online, kids are yearning to get together to socialize with a bit of raucous fun and candy, like candy with all capital letters, But with COVID-19 isolation, this year's Halloween has to be different, you know, very, very different. And for weeks, families have been brainstorming innovative ideas to provide a safe yet enjoyable experience for their kids. And almost everyone has probably decided how to celebrate. So I want to just add a bit of nature to the mixture and also give you some ideas from what uh, people are doing Now, when I was raising my two children, Halloween was always a major event and the favorite holiday of the year besides Christmas. But we didn't do it the way that most kids participate. Every year, our family would join two other families, and we would have a full weekend of scary activities in a circa 1900s Victorian that was in the middle of an isolated mountain forest that had been in the... Uh, a friend of our family's um, family for over 80 years. Now, the drive to get to the destination was on this bumpy, winding, potholed road with gnarled trees that jutted out of nowhere and deep canyons that could be as perilous to any driver, but especially the amateurish driver. I mean, the ride alone was scary. Now, when you got to the house, there was no electricity, We had to use a generator if we wanted some. We had to pump water from the creek, I mean, with an actual pump, you know, like a hand pump. And we always began our adventure with a hike to pick wildflowers, to gather feathers, branches, colored leaves, grasses, making decorations was part of putting the house together to even make it more scary. Now, there were horses on the property, so sometimes we'd saddle the horses take a big ride and gather all the things we needed to, for our decor. The landscape also had a big vegetable garden that really the kids loved. So we would say, what do you want for dinner? (laughs) And that's the best way. If the kids get to pick it themselves, they're going to eat it. And so that would be the fun. The kids would help to prepare the evening meal. And on Halloween, we'd start the day picking apples and the oranges, I mean, in the orchard. And then we'd take the apples to the barn where we would press them into apple cider. There was an old apple press that was, I don't know, probably a century old, you know, so it was a whole, a crank one. And we'd save some apples because we would make apple pies afterwards. And then we would also do a fun game, which I don't recommend during the pandemic, but it was fun then bobbing for apples and we'd give prizes to the winner and bobbing for apples is something that i did on with um at our kind of barn parties that we had our hay parties and halloween parties as a kid where you would put uh, you know apples in a um well it would be a trough actually it'd be a trough that was used for the animals but it was clean and two or more people depending on how big the trough would would have to get the apples with their mouths, and then whoever got the most apples won. But now with the pandemic, I don't think you should do it. But that's what we used to do. It was really fun. And then we did a pumpkin carving, and each person was given a pumpkin to carve or decorate, no matter what age. And we'd save some of the seeds for roasting, and we'd save some for planting in the spring. And then we'd go to the vegetable garden again to pick our very favorite vegetables, And then everybody would get dressed in their homemade costumes, and we'd have a Halloween feast. And, of course, the best was always yet to come. The kids were all decked out in their Halloween regalia, and they just couldn't wait for trick or treating. And what we'd do is we would extinguish all the lights except for a few lanterns and candles. And darkness dropped with those haunting sounds of the night, I mean, in the middle of the woods, right? And of course, we had a bit of help from some hidden boom boxes. And one parent would corral the kids on the porch as the rest of the costume parents hid behind each door of this old haunted Victorian house with bags of candy. And on go, the kids would run from door to door, knocking and shouting trick-or-treat, and an adult would be behind the door and we would jump out with a trick and then we would fill their Halloween back. And then after all the treats were distributed, like all kids, the trading and the negotiating began. And after the kids were all exhausted and probably on a sugar high. It was time for the adults to have some fun, and we'd have a big dance party and celebrate Halloween. So those were kind of fond memories of those sacred Halloween traditions. And things can be easily translated to the current situation with COVID-19 to ensure a safe and memorable Halloween. And, you know, this year, Halloween, it's on a Saturday. It's the second full moon of the month. So we got a howl at the moon. And you could make a weekend of it. And if you have a pot of people that you've already been socializing with and are socially distancing with, one family could host the Halloween party and the uh, and you could also make a Halloween event virtual to include more people. So you could plan and prepare a meal together. You could dress in costumes. You could get a few bales of hay, create a maze. And, and then the good thing is the hay can be used later in the garden as a top dressing. Of course, carve or paint pumpkins. Um, Save seeds for roasting and also for uh, spring planting. You could bake some bread and make menacing faces. You could make a candy shoot out of PVC and then send candy from one person to another person or to another person's yard. Or maybe even a slingshot to catapult candy across the street to your friends. And for those with gardens, you could employ the kids to choose natural decorations and pick vegetables and fruits that are festive and fun. Right now, guavas are self-harvesting. So if somebody has a guava tree, you could um, pick pick them off the ground and then try a new recipe. Um, You could add tiny pumpkins to some autumn floral bouquets. And have a mask making shindig with elements from nature, you know, feathers, bark, twigs, flowers acorns, pebbles, leaves, and more. We all have to wear masks, but why not make a Halloween mask? Uh, make some apple cider into a witch's brew. By Apples are ripe right now. You can press the apples. You could visit a pumpkin patch and, of course, have social distancing. We have so many coyotes around here howling now, so I'm just howling with them. And, of course, you can listen to the hooting, hooting of the owls. And um, if you're just doing it at your own house, you can hide behind closets, bathrooms, or any doors, and just make sure to have the treats and tricks. And it's really fun if you can include some spooky tunes. And don't forget the candy swap. Whether it's in person or virtual, swapping candy is an age-old tradition that every kid adores. And of course, you have to have some toothbrushes. So you want to shake your broomsticks, and you can have a very ghoulish, ghostly midnight jamboree taking place outside in Mother Nature. Now, um, you know black spiders could be crawling up windows and walls, weaving their webs through bushes and doorways. Other things that people are doing uh, in uh, parents are doing um, at least in the countryside and in suburbs and probably in towns because, Every parent wants to give their kid a fun Halloween, so there's a lot of things that we can we can do, and so I want to just give you a few um, a few other ideas that could be kind of fun to do. Because this year's holiday is going to be different from previous years, but it can still be, be filled with candy. I mean, lots and lots of candy. And of course, we have to follow the CDC and state guidelines, which discourage trick-or-treating or large parties. But that shouldn't stop the determination and creativity that parents want to create to, for the best Halloween possible. Because your kids already have had school activities, trips, sports, performances, all canceled, so there has to be a way to do this Halloween kind of safely. So again, we could plan a backyard candy and scavenger hunt. Again, the pumpkin carving and painting, making cookies or haunted house decorating. You could have scary movie nights, piñatas, neighborhood costume parties. Um, you could even make have a you know kind of a bubble thing and do some a few outdoor parties. Uh, One person I know is putting out a bowl of candy with individual scoopers provided for the trick-or-treaters to take with them. Another person said they're going to put individual treat bags out, placing each one six feet apart. And um, they're going to have a grabber that you can uh, place the candy in bags or even tossing pieces out. One woman is going to stand on her balcony and she's going to shoot candy through a lighted tube from the top of her balcony down to any costume person who is on the sidewalk. So I'm not sure how that's going to work, but it sounds kind of, it sounds pretty interesting. Um, you could, let's see, um, what all the, some of the other social distancing things. Uh, yeah, you could have a dark and spooky candy hunt again with kids that you've already been, been, um, been social distancing with because the whole idea is creativity is amazing, and you have to have a tradition of Halloween. Now, there's one person in our area who has been providing socially safe, high energy. Engaging entertainment throughout neighborhoods ever since COVID began. And for Halloween, what he's doing, he's creating a spectacular experience for spooky and kooky creatures of all sizes. And this guy will go to local um, graveyards, he says, or Gold and he provides Halloween inspired socially distanced outdoor dancing, games, activities, and entertainment. With um, some of the activities, including Frankenstein Freeze, Winnie the Witch Says, Monster Shuffle, Musical Pumpkins, and Pumpkin Patch Stomp. And what he's doing is he'll entertain 10 to 25 kids with spaced out curated activities themed to music. And they meet in a parking lot so the kids can be safely spaced. And then they'll do this high energy, high impact Halloween-themed dances and challenges. So there are going to be lots of ways that you can celebrate Halloween this year. So there's no reason not to have some fun and to have some hocus pocus. So have a secure and joyful nature Halloween. And don't forget, it's also time to vote. When we come back from break, we will be talking with our author, um Kathleen Damned If She Does is the name of the book and it is just so fascinating. We'll be back in a bit. I'm Cynthia Bryan. Don't go away. Be the star you
0: are. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment.
1: Well, we are back. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. And I have been anticipating this interview with Kathleen Kelly Reardon. She has written a a, a new novel, Damned If She Does. And her career has been absolutely so exciting. I'll probably have to have her tell you a little bit more. She earned her Ph.D., Um, Summa Laude, of course, at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, but she actually lives in Ireland, and she has worked in so many different things. Welcome, Kathleen, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are.
2: Well, thank you very much, Cynthia. I'm glad to be Uh, here.
1: When I'm reading your bio, I mean, it's just crazy. You're the co-founder and distinguished research fellow of First Star, a Washington, D.C.-based nonprofit dedicated to improving the lives of America's abused and neglected children. That's one of the things. So you've already won a Humanitarian Award. You've um, also worked on a documentary. Actually, you produced and wrote the award-winning documentary, How Will I Survive?, with Academy Award-winning executive producer Mark Harris, so uh you've worked in politics. <laughs> you have you have uh you were actually um an international protocol officer at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library and you've appeared on the Today Show, NBC, Good Morning America on and on and on and on. Um gosh, it takes my breath away.
2: <laughs> well, life's a journey. I, you never know where it's going to take you. So right. as, uh, well, that's I'm not the, telling I, you anything new. Uh,
1: no no. No, no, that's the exciting, uh, that, that's very exciting about all this. But I was also interested because you were the debate advisor to Secretary uh, Hillary Clinton as well as Vice President Joseph Biden. So have you been working on his presidential campaign at all? Well, I I was uh, an advisor.
2: I was one of them. I, I wouldn't call myself the advisor, but I, I have provided, when he debated uh, Sarah Palin, and then uh I provided some input this time. Uh and uh I used to be a debater, so it's uh it's something that uh that I I know about and I enjoy very much. Uh and, you know, one my first book was on persuasion and, and then later on negotiation.
1: So yeah, I I mean it's very exciting times for you then because we only we only right. have a week oh. and we're gonna find out what's going on, right?
2: I know. I I think we're all holding our breath.
1: Yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, I can't wait till it's over, Kathleen, because it seems to be getting nastier and nastier every day. But let's get to your incredible novel, Damned If She Does, because it has a little bit of everything in it. Um, First of all, I want to just say that I really enjoyed your character, Seamus. Uh, So Seamus and Meg Doherty, they were in in your first book. Is it your first novel? Is that right? Yes, they
2: were in Shadow Campus, yes. right?
1: Yes. Okay. So, but now they have um, reconnected because they had kind of an estranged relationship, and Meg has been keeping a secret for a long time, and uh, I think about six years or so. She hasn't told anybody mm-hmm. but one of her colleagues who um, who actually found her after she was raped by a professor. So, uh, was this, did you start this all after the Me Too movement, or was this something that you had originally started, you know, thinking about? Tell us about how Damned If She Does came about.
2: Well, uh, Damned If She Does was certainly started before Me Too, um, perhaps two years before Me Too, maybe even a little bit more. Uh but, but it was right up my alley, in a sense, because some of the work, much of the work I've done over the years has had to do with issues of communication that are related to gender. Mm-hmm. Uh I wrote a, a case ca- uh, called The Memo Every Woman Keeps in Her Desk, and then that led to a book called They Don't Get It, Do They? So in a way, my nonfiction was informing fiction. But I've always loved stories, and I've always thought that someday— after social science, I would move on to to fiction. Um, and I was fortunate enough to have some teachers long ago that encouraged that kind of, you know, going beyond one area into another and, and just uh, experimenting in life. So Damned If She Does, certainly I was finishing up it up around the Me Too, uh, when Me Too
1: was happening. So and it was just I had perfect timing, wasn't it? It was just, this book was, it was like you hit it right at the right time to have this book come out. Well, (laughs) it's funny you should say that because it
2: came out about a week before COVID hit Ireland, Mm -hmm. um, maybe two weeks before. And so actually uh, being able to travel or talk or speak at a bookstore and things like that, uh, those things were curtailed.
1: Right, but the, right. That's the with regard for all the authors subject. and creatives.
2: Yeah, that's but, but, that's no, been
1: that. the real problem. That's been the real problem for authors: is your work, you write something and then it comes out and you can't promote it.
2: All kinds of uh, all kinds of artists and uh, people that ha- have put their lives into dance and music and painting and all this. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, I guess as they say, when you know. Uh, a door closes a window opens and so many people are doing that kind of thing you know finding another way
1: well and that's what we all have to do as um, I'm, I'm an author as well but also an actor and all of our films and everything have been shot you know shut down since um, the end of February well beginning of March, and we're trying now to find ways to open it. Some for some things they're opening slowly, so that's another area I know yeah. that you know about. Well, you know what was very interesting to me is uh, I graduated from University of California at Berkeley, Cal Berkeley, and I was just reading. The California uh, magazine that came out, and they were there was an article in it called "Swift Justice" when Berkeley Law denied tenure to Elizabeth uh, Eleanor Swift, and she fought back. And it just it just piggybacks so well with your book because it was fascinating that these here she was this person Eleanor was a very very a dignified and well respected. Lawyer, professor, etc. But when it came time for her to get tenure, all the male uh, members voted against it. They did not want a female to have tenure. And so, you know, to have Meg be the head person here in your book, and then other women kind of backstabbing each other, it just it just raised something I never thought in academia there was this kind of. I don't know eyebrow-raising backstabbing. I suppose, or are these issues? So you're you're in damned if she does. There, the men do not want to publish, or they're very difficult publishing for these younger graduate students. So, what was your background in that? Area because just that's, I mean, it's as an author being rejected a zillion times is hard enough, but when you're trying to get tenure or trying to get a job as a professor or something, to constantly have your works rejected would be just really debilitating. Is that something that you had worked in in the past or knew people? Yeah. Well, I tell you, uh,
2: academia is a lot more exciting than, than most people think it is. It's, it, uh, it actually lends itself quite well to mysteries like this. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of politics. Uh, you know, just as you just mentioned, just, I mean, there's politics in the church choir. Uh, right. But, but uh, <laughs> academia, we have a, a lot of a lot of politics and people that are not promoted. That clearly, you know, are outstanding. And in some in some departments, it, you, you might be the first woman. I was the first woman promoted, tenured in in uh, the second time I was tenured a second university, and then um, I moved on and to full it, professor tell, and all audience. these things
1: were supposed to be impossible. For our audience that don't know, could you describe what tenure actually means? Well, after six
2: years as a professor, about about five actually, they begin to assess whether you're going to stay. Uh, If you do not get tenure, then you have to move on, usually within that within a year, and uh, it's it's very upsetting. And Mm -hmm. uh, a tenure allows you to stay at that university and to move on in as long as you publish then internationally uh and uh jump a lot of certainly through a lot of hoops then you're going to move on to full professor uh so ten- you know shadow campus opens with a young professor meg uh hanging in her office nearly dead on the eve of her tenure decision mhm and that's um, when her brother has to fly out from Connecticut, they've been estranged, like you mentioned. And yes, uh, the Seamus has to become a detective of sorts, putting himself and, and her again in jeopardy as they try to assess how this could possibly have happened.
1: Well, and it it's re- is very interesting because he's actually a better detective than the detectives. <laughs> he yeah, he's to, pretty good, and he gets he's better. He's really at, good. <laughs> Yeah, well, because he really cares about Meg, he wants to get to the bottom of it, you know, and he's really, uh, yeah, he's really asserting himself and putting himself uh, out there. But, but goodness, he almost gets himself killed. But um, in this particular, in damned if she does, these editors, these editors that they, how how is that in research? Is are did you ever experience any editors kind of similar? to um any of the editors that you talk about in this book or did you know other oh, abso- people Oh, absolutely. Really? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh I mean the So this is where the field. fact beats fiction.
2: Oh, yes. Yeah. This is where yeah, this is where fact uh does inform fiction and I allowed myself some creative license of course and certainly uh, I cannot say that most editors are this way, but there's certainly a, a number of them. And like anything else where there's power involved, uh, people can sometimes, uh, take it a little too far. But, but academia, especially if you want to, uh, progress, you know, you have to prove yourself. So you have to be able to take the criticism and you have to, that's part of, of the whole deal. But in Damned, if she does, you're right. There are some of them that went a little far.
1: Yeah. They, go too, yeah, they definitely go too far. And one of the things that I took away, too, is there was uh, one student that seems to stand up to, you know, and criticized uh, an accomplished editor. And that seemed to gain a little bit of points sometimes. So when you or when your colleagues are going for this, does it pay to stand up for yourself?
2: Oh, yes. Um, And that was also, that's also where fact informed fiction here is is that in um, many fields, uh, the conferences are, and and this takes place at a New York City conference, the conferences are an opportunity for you to to talk about your work and to defend your work. And if you're going to be demure about it, you're not going to go very far.
1: Uh, So you definitely... yeah, True. you see, you definitely have to know, you really have to know everybody else's work because it seemed that people were were presenting their work and then you could debate the work.
2: That's right. And uh, and you better know your stuff, essentially. And that's what Meg tells Seamus. He doesn't understand this. He thinks it's like a foreign land. Uh, why why would people be, do this? But uh, they see it. A lot of these... Uh, a lot of these professors see it as a way to improve uh, their field. And uh, you can see then where it can, it might go too far, uh, that there's such competition and there are people that offend each other in, in the process. And that goes on and damned if she does.
1: And, you know, again, you know, sometimes we think, oh, there's, There's, uh, you know, obviously the entertainment industry, we've been having so much, uh, the Me Too movement Mm -hmm. there. I mean, so much harassment and sexual harassment. But I never really thought about it happening in research or academia. Um, But I guess it's in every single profession. Wherever there's there's
2: power. Yeah, there's, there's certainly, I mean, when you think about it, universities are very often like cities. I mean, they're they're very large, and so uh, many many things can happen. And you know, if if you say to somebody, "Well, this is a a novel that takes place uh, in academia," it's kind of like <laughs> maybe I'll snore snore for a while, but that's not really how academia is. I mean, we are every day you're you're kind of on the line because you're whether it's in front of a class or whether it's in uh, with your colleagues, you you know you have to prove yourself.
1: Mhm, and you really, and, really and have to woman. do the research. Pardon me, I'm you, sorry. You have to have the research. You have to really, you have to really know your stuff inside and out. You can't, you can't just BS it. You have to know what you're talking oh, about.
2: That's right. And um, and then, as I mentioned, being a woman, as happens to me, um, and, and damned if she does, uh, there is the there. There's a complexity there, really, because uh, certainly there are a lot of women now in, in academia. But you you don't go too long before you read about yet another situation that occurs, like you know what you just mentioned what about Eleanor. To me. But mm-hmm. yeah, It shouldn't happen, but these things do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not far fetched at all. Uh, and
1: it's but and it, that's what, it's so fascinating. I mean, it's a really a quick. Read. I mean, you just want to keep turning the page to see what's going to happen, and you know, you it, you're kind of biting your fingernails. You've done a really great job on it. Now, you're working on the third book in this trilogy. Is that correct? And it's going to um, tra- it transpire in West Cork in Ireland.
2: That's right. Yep.
1: Yep. We're, Do you we're tell working us? right now. I just want to mention we're working on the audible version. I'm hoping it's going to be
2: out next week. So, on oh. damn she does. Oh, and after that, great. I'll get back to the third book in this trilogy, which will be in West Cork, yeah.
1: That, now, so. how did you decide to go back to West Cork? Because I know Seamus and Meg, they have Irish, you know, they're Irish descendants. Uh, so mm-hmm. is that where they're from? Uh, actually, their
2: relatives, some of their relatives uh, are from West Cork. And, uh, some of their relatives are from other parts of Ireland. Uh, as often happens with American families, you know, mm-hmm. because they meet over in Brooklyn or wherever when their, when their relatives went over. Uh, so yes, and so they're drawn back to Ireland. Uh, myself, I came here on sabbatical, uh, many years ago and, you know, just fell in love with the fell beauty of, with- of
1: Ireland. <laughs> It's so beautiful, and the people are so wonderful. <laughs> you Absolutely, just—I yeah. I love the Irish it's, people. Now, you are also an artist, and just tell us a little bit about how how you what you do as an artist, and you know how your art kind of weaves with what you write.
2: Well, uh, I never thought that I would be an artist, uh, and I kind of trip over the words sometimes. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, I, I, I always loved drawing and, uh, I just decided that I would give it a try again. And fortunately, we have a lot of talent here in West Cork and, were, uh, people here were very generous. You know, they sort of saw something and, and encouraged me and I learned a lot from people here on, and painting. We have many, many people who paint here. And then I took up, that was watercolor, and then I took up oil painting on my own. And I, I love painting uh, sea scenes in particular. Mm. And, uh, well, you're surrounded house, by sea. You can sea. see the ocean, so it's, it's easy oh, that, to uh, find the subject.
1: Yeah, that's, I was going to say, it's so, It's so. so. that's what I love so much is the ocean there. You know, it's just like, it's so beautiful. Well, let's give out your website. The name of this novel is Damned If She Does. It's the second in what's going to be a trilogy. Do you have a title for the third one yet? I'm sort of, I'm, I'm
2: trying to make up my mind about that, yeah.
1: Well, uh, I, we'll, we'll wait and see. We People can check out your surprise. website, <laughs> KathleenKellyReardon.com, And Kelly has K-E-L-L-E-Y. And Reardon, R E A R D O N, Kathleen Kelly And Kathleen is with a K. You can also find her on Facebook at Kathleen Kelly Reardon. And her art you could check out at paintingdoc.com so that you can find her art. Would you like to um, leave us with any final words about damned if she does? Well, I. I would just say that uh, uh,
2: I enjoyed writing it. I mean, I have to say that uh, I don't like editing, but I love writing fiction, and, and I'm so blessed to have gotten to this point. Um, and I'm I'm blessed also that there are people around here that uh, are so encouraging. Uh, Two people working, that perform the Audible version, Brendan Conroy and Camilla Grishel there, just fantastic. A lot of talent. I'm very fortunate to be here in such a beautiful place, writing.
1: Well, you're getting just incredible reviews. Kirk has said, informed and searing, artfully stirs a dangerous cauldron of ambitious scholars. Engaging plot leaves just enough plot threads dangling for a potential sequel. I mean, it's it, you're getting just wonderful reports here. So congratulations. Congratulations. And uh, gosh, good luck with this level five um let's hope that let's hope that we all survive this pandemic it's very very um, frightening so stay safe wear a mask keep distance and keep on writing Absolutely. that's the great thing about being an artist uh, and a creative is that we tend to be okay by ourselves <laughs> well, late, it's, right? it's,
2: it's, uh, yes it does love, help it does help.
1: Uh, my good wishes to
2: everyone out there who's dealing with this pandemic right now it can be it can be tough and lonely it's
1: very and difficult. difficult well but, thank you again uh, the website is dot com. the book is damned if she does and the audio version is coming out this week so again just visit kathleencarelyreardon.com, and we'll and you'll be able to find it. So you've been listening to Cynthia Bryan. this is Star Style Be the Star You Are. We will be right back with more. Thank you so much, Kathleen, for joining us. Thank you, Cynthia. Thank you.
3: Thanks. Be the star you
0: Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan.
1: Well, today's Business Bite will make a difference for every person, whether they're working or not. It was sent to me by a colleague who attended a Trump event and decided to voice his vote. So it's a political Business Bite, which you may not like it, but I'm going to read it. The pumpkins have better common sense than this person who calls the virus a hoax and fake news, and yet proclaims from the rust belt that we have turned the corner. You know that turning the corner four times in a block, you are exactly where you started. And quote, I have cured it, and all in the same day while saying, oh, COVID, 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 COVID. We'll never hear about this virus again on November 4th, as it's a democratic hoax. As he designs events that are packed, thousands of people together without face masks, and says, Get the hell out and vote for me, spreading misinformation and the virus while between events, watching TV and tweeting, and contributing to killing over 226,000 Americans, more than all wars, infecting almost 80,000 per day here in the U.S., and proclaiming proudly, It is what it is. 12 more years. Maybe he's trying to make America whiter again because uh, the virus is killing more people of color at a much higher rate than killing white people. This would be funny if it were not a scary, serious, multiple crisis coming from ignorance and ego. New record highs on everything, every day. 68 million people already voted before voting day. 80,000 people a day getting sick and no slowing down. Let's double down on more crazy stuff over the next six days. And he once made a baseless claim about big problems and discrepancies with mail-in voting. Despite the GOP's objections, he demanded this past Monday that the election winner be announced on Election Day, November 3rd, something the Republican Party has made highly unlikely by fighting to keep ballots from being counted quickly in key swing states. So seriously, vote and encourage everyone you know to vote for Biden. He may not be the best, but he's definitely better. Only a week left to go, 160 hours. Our lives, our future, the concept of truth matters, and the climate is at stake. Your vote ensures democracy, and the American way gets back towards sanity. (laughs) This is another business bite from Star Style, for more information visit cynthiabryan.com that's cynthiabryan.com and just make sure to vote whatever your preference
3: Be the star, you are the star.
0: The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, Produces positive radio broadcasts and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376 Moraga, California, 94556, bethestarur.org. Now, back to the power party. This business of showbiz-
1: well, the party is back and I truly enjoyed Damned If She Does, Kathleen Kelly Reardon. I literally sat and just read it all at one time. It's it's about a dark secret that Meg Doherty has, and she is in academia. But it's take place at a conference. I think you'll really enjoy the book, so um, make sure to check it out. Well, you know, because uh, she's in Ireland, I wanted to read a chapter from my book, "Be the Star You Are: Ninety-Nine Gifts for Living, Loving, Laughing, Learning to Make a Difference," which won an award. It's called the Gift of Friendship, and um, it's it's rather special to me. So. When I was nine, my fourth grade teacher, Sister Mary McCartan, announced that a student in Ireland was looking for an American pen pal. I had no idea what a pen pal was, so my hand did not shoot up. And after class, Sister Mary McCartan whispered to me that she thought I was the perfect match for this young Irish girl. She's the eldest in her family. She's very bright and outgoing. She loves to have fun, and I know you both very well, and I feel sure you're going to become fast friends. Well, Nora's letter arrived from Dublin about two weeks later with this beautiful cursive handwriting with a fountain pen on fine, pale blue parchment paper. Fascinating foreign stamps decorated the envelope. I was already smitten, and her words just flowed off the page into my heart like the prose of Keats. Everything in her existence was lovely. Her mum was Mary and her dad was Brian. She had nurse who looked after the lot. She too was nine and she went to a conference school taught by the same nuns that I did in California. And I was mesmerized by this Irish girl, so like me, but living in a strange land across the pond. She probably spoke in a strange voice. So I wrote back, and soon the letters were flying across the ocean at amazing speed. And every day when our postman, Mr. Ichikawa, came to the end of our driveway, I was waiting to see if a letter had arrived from Ireland. And as soon as I received a letter, I would spend hours writing back, giving Nora all the news of California, how it was to live on the farm, my 4-H activities, taking care of chickens, driving tractors, picnics on hills, dressing up like nuns. It was so obvious we were becoming best friends that we were treating each other like a dear diary. None of the nuns seemed surprised when, nine years later, Nora and I planned our first in-person get-together. I had been chosen to be a teen ambassador to Holland, and Nora was being sent to work in Belgium. So we decided to meet at the Antwerp uh, train station, and I was so nervous. What if I didn't recognize her? What if we couldn't find anything to talk about? What if, after all these years of writing, we really didn't like each other? And our eyes met across the tracks, and it was like in the movies. I ran toward her yelling, Nora, (laughs) in my loud farm voice, as she sang in her beautiful Irish little... And our face-to-face meeting, only endured us more to one another. We were absolutely the best of friends, with many more adventures waiting us. I flew to Ireland to meet her parents and her eight brothers and sisters. I became an honorary Irish uh, member of the family. Nora and I traveled the Irish countrysides. We went dancing. We explored museums. We spent hours in girl talk. Uh, You know, it was just so incredible how we totally connected and we were from different parts of the world. Our friendship just deepened and letters flowed across the 8,000 miles. And every time I was in Europe, we got together. The years passed. Nora got married and she became Nora Norden, and she lives in Norway. And I also got married the same year that she got married. We both had two children, and we both continued to share our joys and sorrows over the miles and the years. Whenever possible, we got together, and once in a while, we would talk by phone. And then the decades passed, and we still consider ourselves like sisters and best friends we've saved all our letters and cars over the year and we've always said we should create a movie based on our friendship through the good the bad the hard the sad times we have been there absolutely a hundred percent for each other i am still dazzled by her intelligence her compassion her beauty her great humor and she still finds me the wild crazy enthusiastic energizer i've always been of course now we're email pals But we still make time to write a proper letter from time to time. Although hers are really beautiful, uh, mine I have to type because (laughs) my handwriting has gotten really weird. The world changes, technology advances, and yet we remain best friends. She taught me the value of having and being a true friend. Friendship should not be measured in quantity but in quality. We can have many wonderful and caring acquaintances. But we can only have a few true friends. I know in the depths of my spirit, no matter what happens to me or my family, she will be there for me in every possible way. And she knows she can count on me for anything. True friendship is not about competition. It offers mutual respect, admiration, trust, joy, kindness, and support. A true friend doesn't judge, but will tell the truth when necessary, however painful that may be. And such a friend loves unconditionally, despite all the flaws, but is never a yes person. True friendship is understanding, consoling, and ever-present, and yet we can disagree. So stop for a moment and think about the people in your life. Do you have true friends, people you can trust, people you can count on through thick and thin, no matter what the circumstances and distances separate you? Do you have people in your life who love you just the way you are, while supporting you in your growth, your changes, and your advancements. I find it infinitely sad how, many, how lightly many of us regard friendships. We confuse acquaintances with friends. We go for quantity, not quality. I'm, br- pl- I'm very proud to say I just have a few friends, but they're all very true friends and among the most important people in my life. When you have a friend like this, you have the greatest gift in the world. So when a friend is having a bad day, do something special to show you care. Write a note, send flowers, bake cookies, offer a back rub, but just take time to be a good friend, especially when time is the most precious and difficult thing to give. Earn a friend by being a friend. So find a friend today, and you only need one true friend to make life worse living well thanks for being great listeners and it coming here every Wednesday we are doing Wednesdays with authors and entertainers and the authors are coming to us from the authors guild you can find more information about me at cynthiabryan.com and you can find more information about be the star you are at btsya.org My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, and amuse and motivate, see beyond your physical being, know you're already a star, and cherish the past, dream of the future, and celebrate every moment of your life. And if you're going to pick up a book this week, choose Damned If She Does. It is informed and searing, according to Kirkus Reviews by Kathleen Kelly Reardon. You will enjoy it. And remember, until next week when we celebrate once again, love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. Please vote, whatever your preference, just vote. As an American, it is your right, it's a privilege, and it's a duty. And every single person can make a difference. So whether you do it in person, or you do it by mail, it will be safe. So just know it will be safe. So please do vote. So until next week, I am Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. I thank you and encourage you to be your authentic self. Go out into the world and be the star you are. Have a great week. Have a very happy Halloween. And make sure to howl at the moon on Saturday. It's going to be a full moon. And this will be a time to create and inspire and howl! Vote <laughs> Happy Halloween until next Wednesday, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific. Cynthia Bryan signing off. Be the star you
3: are, the star you